Hi, I'm Helleth Kendrick. And I'm Chris Keane. And this is the Recruit for Spouses podcast. Welcome to episode number two of our podcast. Now, today we have a very exciting guest joining us and we have lots of questions to ask. Her name is Lucy. I don't really know anything about her, but Helleth does. So Helleth, tell us a bit about Lucy before we get her on the show. Lucy was introduced to me by Hiropreneurs back in 2011 now, so nearly 10 years ago, and was very supportive to me at the time. We haven't spoken for that long, which is bizarre, but Lucy has an incredible story and I really wanted her to come on this podcast today because really her story is so inspiring. Whilst she isn't a military spouse, she was such a big part of our beginning, gave me so much support and encouragement in the early days. And she remembers, I'm sure, very well that day when we were at the House of Commons and I was late. I was very, very nervous. And Lucy spoke so brilliantly about the sort of skills that companies are looking for really in military spouses. And then Lucy decided to leave the UK. Um, She's writing a book called FOMO, Fear of Missing Out. But also Lucy has an incredible story, which is actually a bit of a tearjerker and very inspiring. So I'll hand over to Lucy now. And Lucy, lovely to have you here today. Thank you. Wonderful to be here and bringing up lots of wonderful memories, Helen. I remember that day well, and I was also terrified. Maybe that didn't come across, but <laughs> massive imposter syndrome that day. What we were doing was I just dropped off the load of signatures to number 10, and we were heading over to the House of Commons to launch. It was at the time the Business and Employment Charter that Hiropreneurs very kind helped supported us around launching and the room was full wasn't it it was full of politicians and MOD people and there was a bit of a strange feeling in the room if I remember yeah I think so I think everyone was confused about who we were and why we were there but I think we put on a good show I think we explained our case and by the end everyone was really enthusiastic so it was it was a big success all those sort of many years ago, what were your sort of thoughts around what we were doing as a recruit for spouses? I mean, obviously, you didn't really know much about the military, but what were your sort of first thoughts about military wives working? Honestly, before we met Helleth and before Heropreneurs introduced me to you, I hadn't thought much about military spouses of the situation. And it was a sort of lifting the lid on this whole community of people and access to a talent workforce that companies weren't tapping into. And I think you opened my mind to that. And then that got me really charged up and passionate about it. And it just felt like I think there were things that we do as a recruitment industry that put spouses on the back foot when they're looking for work. Even things like looking at people that have moved companies a lot of times. Companies even have software that filter out resumes from people that have moved around a lot without actually getting to know the people and understanding why that might have happened. So there was that side of things, like with my recruitment experience, understanding that we had to mitigate that in these situations. Then there was also, of course, the skills that military wives bring to organizations was just a massive untapped resource and all the various things that come with that, you know, the adaptability and also being a mother myself now for a year, all of the skills that you have and that you can bring to the workforce from that side of things as well. So for me, it just felt like, yes, there is this whole community of untapped resource that absolutely should be added huge value to our workforce that wasn't being and it was like the odds were stacked against you so for me that was I remember being like really inspired by you and your mission and and really wanted to come on board and help and you did and so the next phase you decided to give up life in the city of London and write a book and can you tell us the next phase about what you did yeah so I think I'd been at my company for about six seven years at the time and just was feeling a little bit blinkered like I'd done the same thing for a long time and blinkered by the kind of corporate world and 
wanted to go out there and experience as much as life has to offer. So, so yeah, the book is about that year and it's called FOMO and it really is. So the idea of fear of missing out, I think it's an affliction that we all suffer with increasingly more so nowadays and especially in these COVID days. And that's that there was so many incredible communities of people out there that I didn't know existed. And actually, I think Recruit for Spouses was probably um, some touch paper for me in terms of getting that kind of lift the lid on this whole community of people that I didn't know or just, you know, they weren't on my radar and I didn't know they existed. And yet it's full of wonderful, kind of colorful, fantastic characters. And so I decided to write a book about different communities of Britain. I call them subcultures, groups of people that, you know, get together for an activity or share a passion or are from a particular part of society, A through Z. A, for example, was the aristocracy. So I lived with a marchioness and then B, I did a big battle reenactment. C, I lived with the circus for a week. D, I went to uh, lots of dog shows and crafts and learned all about the dog showing world and so on. Through nudists and vampires, um, I <laughs> spent a year living with all these different communities and going to their big events and things and then wrote a book about the experience of it. I've always wanted to write a book, but I've never known how to approach it. How did you approach it? I made it up as I went along, I think. <laughs> like we all do with life. We're all winging it, aren't we, really? Um, there was a lot of planning, as you can imagine trying to condense all of those 26 different communities into a year. I mean, luckily, there's 52 weeks in a year and 22 weeks in the alphabet. So it was a week on, a week off for me. But of course, the pagan summer solstice falls at the same time as the Hells Angels bulldog bash. So you really have to like figure out the logistics of the year in advance. So that took about six months to line it all up. And then it's a case of trying to get connections into these communities, you know, reaching out to people directly, doing a lot of internet research, but also just posting Facebook statuses. Does anyone know anyone in the circus community? And it's amazing who, not necessarily your first circle of connections, but second and third, who they know, who your friends might know, or who your friends' friends might know that they can introduce you to. And you sort of find that you're two or three connections away from most people. So then it was just a case of accessing the communities and figuring out how to write was another thing. I went to writing class and, and all that kind of good stuff. Were there any things that you did that you may have been a bit anxious about or you may have even been looking forward to them? But were there any things that really took you out of your comfort zone? I went to a, um, I'm not allowed to say the name of the theme park, but a famous British theme park with the British Naturist Society. They closed down the theme park and it's all naturists that go there and, and hang out for, I think it was four or five days. So that was only five days, you know, but I called that a week. And sometimes it was more than a week with some communities, but roughly, yeah, roughly so. I'm just waiting for Chris to ask more questions about the naturists because I'm sure he's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got loads. did you, you know, did you get starkers? Did you get fully involved? Absolutely. Yes. You can only experience a community if you do what they do. And that was one of my commitments from the start is I'm going to throw myself into this. And there were lots of things that I wanted to achieve with the book, you know, learning and self-development and all this kind of good stuff was a big part of this. So I wanted to beat down all of my prejudices. I think this is so relevant today, isn't it? And how I live in the US. So massively divisive the world now and actually we just share so much more than we're different so it's to me it was about I wanted to challenge all of my prejudices that I had about these communities and the only way you can do that is to really get in the trenches and understand them so yeah I took a poor friend along with me I didn't want to go alone so I took a friend with me everything you can imagine naked yoga naked karaoke we rode all the water rides naked, everything. It was an enlightening experience. It sounds a much better way to enjoy a theme park, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, and it teaches you a lot as well. You know, you go in there with all these body hang ups and then you see 
all these other people and realize that everyone's body is different and yet you know everyone has the same things and you come out being a lot better about yourself honestly and also there are things like people don't you know they're not wearing labels mm. so your relationships building is very different then there are <laughs> situations that you learn along like where do you keep your wallet and your phone you haven't got any pockets and do you wear jewelry do you do your hair all these kind of questions that you come in with very interesting experience I could probably written a book about that chapter alone yeah and I could ask many many more questions about this as well <laughs> but, but one more one more and then I promise no more where did you keep the wallet then oh my good question where did well there were a lot of bum bags and we didn't go equipped with a bum bag so I think we just probably carried them and put them down a great thing about a lot of these communities I spent time with is this idea of community itself so the idea of like you can leave your doors open here you can leave your stuff around everyone takes care of the kids like that kind of almost like a village atmosphere in all of these communities so I think we probably just left our phones on the side and trusted that no one would take them which was nice so you moved over to San Francisco you wrote this amazing book you went from A to Z did so many awesome things which one would you say would have been the best which letter and which activity so my favorite was LARPing live action role play there's a film, a movie based on it called Role Models. It is when you dress up as each LARP has a theme. So the theme of the one that I went to was sort of Tolkien-esque. Think about Lord of the Rings kind of acted out in person. So everybody dresses up as, you know, an elf or a goblin or an orc. You've probably seen these people running around the woods. It's like kind of Dungeons and Dragons acted out in real life. You have swords, you have weapons, you have bow and arrows, you have a point system, you have, you know, how much health you have and how that health deteriorates when you get into battles. You have rituals, you have different factions, there's politics. And this all happens in the woods. So it was a camp. It was a four day long camp. So it happens in person in the woods and you have sort of smoke machines. So it's all very eerie and you get kidnapped and there's all sorts of plot that's fed in. So it's basically like being in Lord of the Rings for a weekend and this concept of like adult play, playing a part and how that allows you to kind of explore who you are as a person through doing that. And also things like a hierarchy within your faction that you're in. I was in the Knights of Albion, the Lions of Albion, and we had a king and like, I was terrified to talk to the king because you know within that kind of microcosm, he was the king. And then, so it's almost like a reflection of the real world and how made up everything is and how made up hierarchies are and things. To me, it was really, really fun experience and actually a lot more profound than I thought it would be. It sounds a little bit like an army exercise. <laughs> I wouldn't know, but if it does, then sign me up. Apart from the king though, but then again, you've got some officers that probably do think they are kings. So again similarities did you go home at the end of the day and still retain that sort of character ah <sighs> did i no i did she's still in there somewhere storm storm of the albion forest she'll always be part of me but um of course i had to move on to the next thing after that i think i was a goth then for a week after that so obviously i just had to move on get him a new headset get my black lipstick out it sounds like such an incredible book now i know it's not available yet but how far along are you in terms of getting it out there getting it released I went through crowdfunding to publish it through a platform called Unbound and it reached funding target earlier this year. So it's now going through the editing process. What is it first called? The developmental edit we're doing at the moment. So it should be out at the back end of next year. You can still go in and pre-order it. It's called FOMO Year of Not Missing Out. If you Google it, you'll find it. And then if you pre-order it, you also get your name listed as a supporter in the back of the book. 
but it will be out in bookshops and Amazon and places like that, hopefully the back end of 2021. I will 100% be buying one of those books. And uh, if you could sign it as well, that would be amazing. I know Hella touched upon this earlier, but if we go right back to the start of your kind of story, why did you decide to leave London and move over to San Francisco? And why did you decide to write a book? So the writing a book was this feeling of wanting to do something different. I think it was probably like a third life crisis. And then when I came back from writing the book, I went back to being a partner in my headhunting firm. And, you know, I'd had this incredible experience and life-changing experience. And it was quite hard to go back for any of you that have read Lord of the Rings. I feel like this is coming up far too much in this, in this podcast. But I'm not that obsessed, I promise. But there's a line about not being able to go home after you've had a big adventure. And that was definitely the case for me. So the question was, what's next? And that's when the the directors in my business suggested I should go and launch our US office. So that's when five and a half years ago, I moved over to the Bay Area because we're a technology recruiting firm. So it made sense for us to be in Silicon Valley and launched our US business. And that was successful over about five years. And then a couple of weeks ago, I actually started a new job. When you were in San Francisco, do you want to tell us about what happened with your accident? Oh, yeah, that was another thing. So three years ago now, I was riding my motorcycle to work across the Bay Bridge and actually somebody coming the other way on her way back from a night shift and she fell asleep at the wheel and slumped onto the wheel and came into my lane at the last minute and hit me head on. So I had a pretty serious accident broke my arm, my shoulder, broke my pelvis in multiple places, broke my sacrum and broke my neck. So I was in taken to ICU. I actually wrote a blog series about this, taken to ICU and in and out for a couple of weeks and then was transferred to a normal hospital for a couple of months and then had to come home and was in a hospital bed lying on my back. I had a lot of external fixators and things, so couldn't move for about a month and then went into rehab and was an inpatient in rehab for a long time and had to learn how to use my body again and yeah it was um, another life-affirming experience for sure. Obviously we're friends on Facebook so I knew was following this and horrified by I mean you very modestly put it but it was quite a horrific accident and you were very lucky to survive but one thing I did notice about you and it's one of the reasons I asked you to be on the podcast today was despite everything that you went through you were always smiling and um, I'm getting a bit teary because I watched it. I was just in awe of the way that you dealt with so much going wrong, so much, you know, literally you had to learn to walk again and you were lying on your back for so long. And what must have been going through your mind? I mean, it must have been a horrendous time for you, really dark time for you. It was, yeah. And yeah, you're right. Very, very lucky to survive. Absolutely beat the odds on that one. And my husband was actually behind me on his motorcycle when it happened. So he saw everything and you know literally had to pick up the pieces and call the ambulance and of course I was out of it all this time and and we didn't know what was going to happen we didn't know if I was going to be able to walk again or what was going to come back to me and wasn't going to come back to me so it was very challenging and painful I think for him if not more than me emotionally very painful and also my mum came out from the UK to be with me so she was here for a few months those first kind of very difficult months so it was very, very challenging, but also I think life affirming. I really do. I think like it was a pretty unique perspective on life, right? When you suddenly get this second chance, it's overwhelming and it it helps you zoom out and it helps you really be able to prioritize things in your life again. And I also feel very lucky to have survived it, lucky to have got the care I got, lucky to be in such good shape now. I'm, I'm just doing so well 
and they didn't think that we would be able to have a baby and that we beat the odds on that as well and had a baby last year which was obviously an incredible end to the story and everything that I was working towards with my physical therapy was being able to walk down the aisle in my wedding I was getting married eight months after the accident so it was a very tall ask and generally thought of as going to be pretty impossible and then managed to do that as well so it was really uplifting and the support I had and the outpouring of love and support from everybody in like you health I know you reached out to me at the time we hadn't spoken for years like that kind of situation was just so common to get back in touch with everybody again was was incredible and that really was I mean you filmed a lot of it and you know had me in tears back here and actually one of the times when I watched you looking so beautiful walking down the aisle and just so happy obviously he was your boyfriend when when it happened and gosh what he must have gone through but to see you actually walking down the aisle was incredible it really really was and so inspiring really really inspiring fun story the world thought he was my boyfriend at the time including my mum but we'd secretly got married in Vegas in February <laughs> of that year by Elvis so, <laughs> and we weren't telling anyone because our wedding in Corsica we got married in Corsica which is where my husband's from and we couldn't legally get married in France for all sorts of reasons so we knew that we had to get legally married beforehand and not tell anybody so then the accident happened and of course my husband was officially my next of kin but we couldn't tell my mum that so there was all sorts of like briefing the nurses before my mum came in that he was allowed to make decisions but my mum didn't and then when the nurses came in briefing my mum that we were actually fibbing about being married and we had to say that so he could make this and they were loving that they were in on this conspiracy theory and then after a couple of months of that I think we gave in and told my mum and she was super happy we were worried about telling her but she was elated so that was a fun experience as well. I was just about to say surely she knows now you haven't used this podcast as a way of breaking that big news imagine imagine i've been waiting all this time for this moment to tell her we actually held up a big sign we had the wedding in corsica the following year and we held up a big sign with a picture of us getting married in vegas so everybody knows now the word's out and you now have a lovely little baby boy and that was something you never thought would happen because you had quite severe internal injuries as well didn't you in the accident yeah it was um an absolute miracle so yeah and he's perfect as well he's doing great so yeah really really blessed and very surprised at the time really, but, really um, well. yeah so lucy this day and age there is so much talk about mental health and looking after ourselves as well as looking out for others now you went through so much in terms of the crash and having to rebuild your life again and you got through all that you pulled through and you had a new baby boy, and life is now looking amazing again. But if you look back, how did you kind of get through all that in terms of your mental health? How did you pull through it? For me, it was about getting through this was about framing. And obviously it is, I mentioned this before, it is almost a privilege to go through something like this because it does put everything into perspective and all the kind of everyday stresses and trivial things that you you let get on top of you really stack up. And then you go through something like this. I'm sure actually this crosses over, I'm sure, to the military and, and the military spouse community. Um, is this feeling of, you know, nobody died. Yes, of course, these things were very stressful at the time, but if you put them into perspective, it allows you to see them in a different way. And I think you can sort of reframe things. I remember going through, I was um, before the accident studying neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, which if you're not familiar is, is sort of ways of almost hacking your mind, hacking the way that you think about things. And there's this concept of reframing. And my instructors came in, I was actually in a hospital bed in the front room and they came in to talk to me about this. At the time, I had a lot of nerve damage on my left side and I was having this agonizing 
agonizing pain in my left foot. I remember it feeling like somebody was almost drilling into my toenail with a pneumatic drill. It was so intense. And that was what I wanted their help with. And they asked me, you know, what is the pain? Do you know what's going on in your body? And I knew that it was my nerves trying to heal themselves. They break apart and then they kind of almost cry out for each other. They release these electronic signals to try and find each other so they can come together and heal. So then it was a case of, okay, well, that's healing pain. Yes, it's agonizing, but it's your body healing itself. And actually for me, putting two and two together and figuring that out and reframing the sensations that were happening in my leg as this, my body is healing itself. That's why they feel that way versus a fearful reaction to the pain really helped me. So that concept of just like looking at things a different way and deciding how you feel about things and taking kind of control over your own emotions and how you're viewing the world. To me, that was just so helpful. And so I think that's just the way I tried to get through things was just focusing on wherever your attention flows tends to be what drives you and and what motivates you. So it was focusing on the good things, finding the fun, focusing on the joy, finding the pleasure in every moment. You know, even things like having a shower for the first time after three months was just the most exciting thing. I'd look forward to it for weeks and the sensations and the feeling of like water on your skin and trickling down your head and the smell of clean hair. All of these things that you have, of course, we take for granted and we do every day. When you're deprived of those, it just makes them so much more powerful and vivid and bright. So I guess focusing on those things and, and of course, it's cliche, but being in the moment as much as you can and finding pleasure in small things as much as you can. What we find is a lot of military spouses, particularly when their partners are away on tour or away on deployment, particularly with COVID, people have found it, as Chris quite rightly said earlier, mental health has been quite a challenge. And whilst we're not experts, we do know that there's a coping mechanism and and actually framing and NLP stuff does all help. So yeah, thanks for sharing that with us, actually, because I think that's, as I said earlier, the things I noticed about you is your positivity. and, And it's easy to say, be positive and but when things are really really awful and you're in that pain and actually when you speak to soldiers that have been injured they say the same thing you just focus on the little wins you focus on those tiny little things that are going right and I think if there's one thing to take away it's that isn't it exactly I could not agree more finding pleasure in those simple moments which you're you're more able to do when you're deprived of them and I think actually us all being in this kind of COVID situation at the moment and being locked in our houses you know we're all going to have so much more pleasure from going out and seeing our friends again, going to restaurants again and going to, you know, big parties and weddings and events, like how much brighter will those things be? It's horrible to go through this this situation, but the outlook is always looking forward, always thinking about the future and always being positive. It is that proper cliche saying, isn't it, where you want something more if you can't have it. I remember back in proper lockdown, back in March, when I used to get so excited about going to Asda to do the food shopping and Me and Kelly used to take it in turns because we both really looked forward to it. Now, before lockdown and even now, kind of after lockdown, I don't really like doing the food shopping. I don't look forward to it. But yeah, back then, I just couldn't wait to get out the door to get to Asda. (laughs) Exactly. And it's trying to hold on to those memories, isn't it? And trying to always have fun going to Asda. Like it's it's easy to say and hard to do, but... (laughs) Yeah. So talking about lockdown then, how did you find it? What were the kind of pros and cons of lockdown for you? Good and bad. I think the pros of having a young baby during this time are that you get to spend more time with them. So honestly, we're spending lots of time together as a family. You don't lose the time to commuting. You can cook nice meals and things. So the plus side is getting to be a family a lot of the time. And I think it does help you prioritize work-life balance and things like that. But the challenge is, 
we're not getting out and doing stuff. And it's weird, I think, for a young baby, master mandatory pretty much everywhere in, in the Bay Area. So he's not seeing faces and social cues and, and learning that way. And he's not being picked up by people that he doesn't intimately know, which I think would just happen a lot more. So it's going to be interesting to see the effect that that has, I think, on young kids mm. going through this. It's a challenge. And I think if it goes on much longer, we're all sort of getting a bit bored of it, aren't we? But yeah. I know we've all got to keep doing our part. So <laughs> we'll see how it all plays out. I'm in exactly the same boat as you in terms of having a baby in lockdown. And yet everything you said is spot on where we're finding the interaction Holly might be missing out on or playing with other children. Soft play areas have just about opened where I am. I know they're locking down again all over the place, but where I am at the moment, they are still kind of open. So she's getting a little bit of it, but yeah, she's missed so much. And I'm I'm a little bit worried, to be honest, of the latter effects of what's going to happen to their development as they yeah. get older nothing is open here so it's you know we can get a friend round to play with them but it's more one-on-one there's not that kind of big group interaction for them and the amount of masks that holly has ripped off my face as well (laughs) it's so hard to keep masks on isn't it oh my goodness so lucy before we go do you miss blighty the uk you must miss us a bit do so much you know we came (laughs) back for a few months over christmas to spend time with family during our parental leaves and yeah, we did. I mean, so my husband's French, so you know, European, I think we can probably club them all together, We're obviously very different, but also all of Europe is very different from the US. I miss the sense of humour, really. I miss the food, I miss good tea, I miss biscuits, and I just miss <laughs> sarcasm and cynicism and <laughs> grumpiness. I miss it. Honestly, everyone here is overly enthusiastic all the time which is can be nice but can also be there's a kind of a bit of a veneer sometimes in in interactions and loses a bit of authenticity and going straight from writing a book about how much I loved Blighty and all the wonderful colorful eccentric characters that you find in England to this to California which is extreme America really you know it's it's America on steroids so there are things that we love about it here, but we won't be here forever. I think we do have a plan to come back eventually. Well, Lucy, it's been so good having you on our podcast and it's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. Just before you leave us, just give yourself a bit of a plug. I know you've got a blog and you've got the book. Yeah, just plug yourself. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So the book is, I mean, Google FOMO, A Year of Not Missing Out, and you will find it at FOMO. And my blog is lucyfeltham.com. So my married name is Lucy Leonelli, which is cooler, isn't it? I think. So I've stuck with that. My maiden name is Lucy Feltham. So lucyfeltham.com is where you can read about the accident and that blog and have all sorts of videos of my recovery and things if you're interested. Thank you so much, Lucy. That was fascinating. It was so great to catch up with you. You too. Thank you so much for taking the time. I've really enjoyed it. 